Okay. Test. Okay. Testing. Testing. All right. We're good now. Um. <laughs> So I uh, had everything set up. I was uh, good to go. Um, and then when I hit the record button on Wartap Studio, Mountain Line uh, just completely crashed like immediately. Your whole system? Yeah, my whole system. Like before I could even take my finger off the mouse pad, my <laughs> system had crashed. And I had gotten the gray screen of death. Yikes. <laughs> So I thought, oh, you know, maybe it was some weird thing. I got uh, Skype and Wiretap going at the same time. You know, I started a call and I hit record. Tried it again. Uh, same thing. So I have a uh, kill switch on my machine now. That's the record button in my, <laughs> <laughs> in my uh, audio recording software. So Man. that's a little bit of a I guess. And you have a brand, brand, brand new MacBook. Which is what, fri- what would frighten me. Yeah, I've got the. I think it's more mountain lion uh, than the MacBook itself. Um, That's true. So uh, yeah, I mean, I've got a, a few quirks now on the on the Retina that I have to deal with, which is, uh, I guess, now this Wiretap Studio bug, and I can't do any screen recording of anything. So uh, it, that crashes my machine too. So I can't even uh, record screencasts and all that. And I was planning on doing some of that like a month ago. Or less than a month ago, I guess, huh. uh, when I got the machine. So uh, now I'm just waiting for bugs to be fixed so I could do that since this is my primary machine. I don't have another computer. Is that a mountain bug? Uh, that's a retina bug. And I think that's specific to the screen recording software uh, that, makes that sense. I use. So I've been wanting to do these screencasts to show people how to do cool stuff in CrowdMap, but I haven't been able to. Um, so we'll just have to settle with the podcast, I think. All right. Audio screencast. <laughs> Audio screencast. <laughs> I'll just be like, uh, you know, move your mouse up to the top left <laughs> screen. <laughs> well, you know what? It also wouldn't be a Ushcast without a little technical pot. How do, <laughs> why my, why this podcast is not as good as it should be engineering wise conversation <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so so i'm brian herbert um we're, we're joined here with uh brandon rossage and robbie mckay uh we're spread out all over the globe uh we have brandon in seattle uh, robbie's in new zealand and i'm in uh, south korea so that's right it's a uh, global cast today who will win the gold <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Robbie, uh, this is your first time on the on the podcast. Uh, you're one of our developers. Why don't you just go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about what you do with Ushahidi? Hey, I'm Robbie. Um, so I mainly, well, in theory, mainly work on external projects. So we do kind of consulting on really custom, custom Ushahidi deployments. Um, so that said, at the moment, for the last few months, I've done a lot of core work. <laughs> so... It really varies. 
um, yeah. That's excellent. It's uh, the reason we are bringing you on for the first time today is because we just launched uh, the Ushahidi platform uh, 2.5, uh, which we've named Cairo. Um, and, and that's been a major change, and I know you've had a lot to do with that. And uh, since you work with these custom deployments, um, you have a really interesting perspective onto why uh, we've done the things that we've done and, and why they're uh, going to be good for Ushahidi moving forward. Um, so I guess we'll just jump right into it with a with a few of the different changes that we've that we've had, and a lot of a lot of the changes in two point five are very uh, behind the scenes yeah. uh, types of changes that that regular deployers that don't really uh, get their hands dirty in the code wouldn't probably see or recognize. Um, and one of those things is the mapping code. What what did we what did we do with the mapping code? That's that's so special. Sorry. For a long time, in fact, it's probably one of the original things, I imagine, though I don't go that far back. We've had all the Ushahidi kind of mapping code was driven by this file called timeline.js, which was just, I don't know, it was hard to work with, <laughs> to say the least, if you were, and really hard to extend or do anything with unless you just kind of overrode the whole thing. So Emmanuel, I think, rewrote kind of the whole thing into what it's bundled up in a object called ushahidi.js which triggers events and kind of does what a good bit of object oriented javascript code should do and lets gives you lots of ways to kind of hook in and add callbacks so that that and things like the sort of timeline is now pulled out separately and as it actually comes in as one of those callbacks rather than just being always on and it means that for plugin developers this should be really good so there's so much more scope to just extend rather than have to replace and, re- and reinvent the whole wheel. Yeah, and that's that makes coding a lot cleaner, right? And and the main benefit to that for, for I guess, people who don't really see uh, the code that's running things is it introduces less bugs, right? So it makes things a lot easier to, to maintain and uh, understand from a technical standpoint uh, while coding. So, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how the, uh, the plugin developers adapt to the change and can actually do some more interesting things with the map that they really weren't able to, uh, to do before. Yeah, this has been... I, I kind of realized as we were coming up to 2.5, like I'm, I've been really excited about getting this one out just because it's going to make my job easier. <laughs> like, there's a lot of stuff in here that I kind of realize, you know, I, I keep talking about how big it is, but... For some of the deployers who use kind of a stock Ushahidi install, they won't necessarily notice the difference as much, except that this is probably the most well-tested release we've done in a long time, so it will be significantly less buggy. But for the plugin developers and uh, you know, what I do is probably closer to what some of our community developers do, which is take the core code and then try and extend it and change it and make it do things that it wasn't necessarily always designed to do. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff in here just to make that easier <laughs> without kind of having to jump through hoops and do horrible, ugly hacks. Yeah, it's uh, that's a really interesting perspective to have because most of the core team has just spent 
just just through the past few years that we've been working on Ushahidi, have spent on the vanilla version of Ushahidi and trying to make the vanilla version work. But when you're extending things and hacking on the code, uh, it's a lot different than just getting you know your map set up and running uh, with the stock components. Um, so I think I think that's been really good to bring that perspective. Um, another pers- another area that you've been really focused on has been uh, a lot of security types of changes, and I know that we've we've gotten a lot of feedback from the uh, OWASP group. That's the uh, the Open Web Application Security Project um, on the different vulnerabilities that have uh, been present in in various versions of Ushahidi. So um, it's one of the one of the like we got really lucky really and got. I mean, there's a few people. Heather worked pretty hard to set this up. Was we had the OWASP. OWASP has kind of local groups that just get together all over the world, and some of them, you know, they do various different things. Some of them just kind of meet and do and chat. Some of them have presentations and things every time. And then the Portland group had enough of them who were interested in actually doing some kind of hands-on security stuff and just practicing running through the process of finding vulnerabilities and disclosing them. And we're happy to jump in and use our project as their test case. So we had, I'm not sure how many of them there would have been because they're in Portland and I'm in New Zealand, but a few of them <laughs> sit there for, you know, spend half their Sunday just going through and breaking Ushahidi as many ways as they could, which was really scary to sit there and listen to, but it's really good. Like it's, we've, we've nailed a lot of the real kind of low hanging fruit and just easy bugs and easy security flaws. And then 2.6 after this should have kind of the more solid behind the scenes stuff that might not have been a security bug, but had potential to turn into one really easily. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, would you say that this is probably the most important update to the Ushahidi platform to date? Um, I don't know if I'd say that, but it probably, yeah, it's pretty close. It's definitely an important one. Like, <laughs> if you're if you're running any older versions, it's important to get up to date on this because now, of course, that we fix the bugs, it makes it easier. It's kind of a catch twenty two, right? As soon as you release the fix on a public open source project, everyone, you know, attackers can go look at the fix and see what the previous bug was. So as soon as we release effects it kind of becomes more important for people to update faster <laughs> that's true cause then but, i guess when you say you yeah, fixed it, a certain well, bug yeah. then <laughs> people know about it so um it should be important to note that our in the bug tracking we don't disclose exactly what the security vulnerabilities are when they're reported to us uh, but we do mention that there are that there is something so that people who are running deployments know and are informed enough to to know that they need to update uh, their software, but we try not to give uh, uh, all the all the details uh, for specific yeah, we, security bugs. It's, but it's still, you know, the code the code changes there. It's very hard to hide the details, right? <laughs> or near on impossible. And and a, a, a skilled attacker probably knows what keywords to look for. <laughs> they'll they'll <laughs> forget that when we talk about you know, sanitization or, I don't know, escaping on anything, that that probably means there was a security flaw before. (laughs) It's going to be pretty obvious. Right. Um, But overall, I think we've 
we've cleaned up you know a lot of a lot of things and like you said 2.6 is going to be even stronger so that's going to be good um we there's been an, another very significant change to uh the way we do settings right so in the past settings have been um it's sorry if you're not uh, a technical uh person listening to this podcast this might be excruciatingly painful for you um but th- there was a, a database table that had uh, it was just one row in the table, and and, a, and you know you could think of this as like a spreadsheet, right? And and this row in the in the database table had many 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 columns, um, and this as as Ushihiti grew, we needed to add more settings, and this table just became this massively wide table and, and that's just a very unmanageable thing so everyone wanted to add a new s- setting we had to make people update their database which is a very costly uh, type of update and as as the person who runs crowdmap i mean we have we have tens of thousands of databases that we have to update when we when we do updates and so every time we just wanted to change settings uh it, it means more downtime for our users so so, Robbie, can you talk a little bit about the the settings changes and and why yeah. that why that's good? The the new yeah, changes are good, not the old changes. <laughs> I, I talk about this, and it, this kind of goes in hand with the permissions table changes because that's sort of the same thing. Is so the permissions table, well, historically there wasn't a permissions table. Permissions was part of roles, and so we had you know we bundle with what three core roles of member. And so there's like the, the the member, the login role, and the super admin role, and the admin role, or something like that. But then, so you had four rows, but like twenty columns wide of all these different permissions. And the problem with both of these is that, so if you're a plugin developer, I mean, even ignoring like core, you have to update and modify the table every time you add a new permission. But if you're a plugin developer, you come along and you want to add a permission or you want to add a new setting, you can't. You know, you shouldn't really go modifying a core table and altering and adding another row. So, if you're a plugin developer, you're kind of left with, well, do I roll my own permissions structure on top of it or my own settings structure? And most of the plugins historically have like a plugin settings table. Like, I think admin map had admin map underscore settings, and one of the uh, frontline SMS, I think, had frontline SMS underscore settings. And so, you've got these tables that do basically the same thing and plugin developers writing code that does basically the same thing rather than just kind of, I'll add one more row to the end of the current table. So now what we've got is like, is just way more extendable as a plugin developer. You can now just insert a row into the permissions table and add kind of the translations and stuff to that for the, for the admin. But if you add that in, then you can, it'll just get picked up by the current admin UI. You don't have to go at re-implementing your own, um, permissions UI or anything settings you'll have to kind of add some UI around it but you can still leverage the same table which yeah it's just a lot better for being able to extend all of this stuff in a sensible way and especially yeah, so- for permissions is like it's a main, major one to be able to have plugins grant different permissions to users in a sensible way rather than kind of hard coding it yeah so I mean from a really high level what this means is that Plugin developers or even future core changes can just happen uh, uh, very easily. You can just say, uh, uh, I've used this example in the past, but like a user's favorite color, right? 
you could just add a new row called color, um, and you don't have to modify the database aside from just inserting a new row, which is a normal operation um, to make that happen. And I mean, it's it requires very little code, and and it's it's very simple. You can just add the the stuff that you want, right? Um, yeah. So the, all that stuff, I I think is is really cool. Um, yeah. One of the things, well, from a like, so from a non-developer perspective on some of these changes, like you won't the settings table stuff, you probably won't notice the permissions stuff. One of the things that did change is that we split out a couple of permissions, but also, so previously, the member your member dashboard and the admin dashboard kind of have similar but slightly different functionality, and. Basically, the only role who got into the members dashboard was the member role, and that was hard coded. And then anyone who kind of any custom role that had any other permission was just automatically assumed to be an admin of some form. Whereas now, there's actually a permission for admin UI, and there's actually a permission for member UI. So you can create a custom role and make them a member with slightly more permissions, and then you or you create an admin like create a custom role and say it doesn't have access to either of those dashboards. But like, so if that was used for some other reason or for some plugin or something, it just, especially for things like custom fields, you can grant access to particular roles. So you can actually start to use that without accidentally giving someone more permissions than you meant to, which was kind of hard coded in before. Sure. So an example of a plugin that could take advantage of that would be uh, a plugin that wants to have logged in users seeing certain things on the front end. Right, so maybe they only want people who are logged in to see certain types of graphs or charts in a plugin uh, on the front part of the website, and that these new changes will allow you to to uh, to do that without creating a new table and all that. Could you have a user that is both a member and an admin? Um, you kind of can. It'll be a bit. It's not. It's not the way it's designed yet. That said, you do have stuff now like. If you actually navigate directly to the members dashboard URL as an admin, you'll pro- you should get access now, which you wouldn't yeah. have before. Which is a bit, which means that as an admin, you can actually go see what your member users see, and use it the way, <laughs> that, which is sort of useful. If like having spent a lot of time building CMSs and things, it's always a nightmare just trying to debug permissions and work out what someone some other user would have seen, and why they couldn't access something and you know someone sends you a bug and you're like I, I don't have that screen so I don't know if that's broken or if you're just using it wrong <laughs> right I you know actually I would imagine some deployers may not even know that the members area exists so <laughs> hopefully <laughs> I mean really if because you use the same login form to get to both places so I would imagine people who are administrating their deployments aren't going to be playing around as a regular user on their site unless they're really, uh, you know, designing, making a lot of changes and things. Maybe they'll create a new account to see what it's like for a new user coming on. But most people, I'd imagine, just have their one admin account and they never log into the members area. Yeah, which is uh, a different experience. So yeah, one of the things I mean. From my view, I'd kind of like to get rid of the members area. As in, the members area is like a weird subset of the admin area. I kind of feel like it, it should literally be in, in the code, a subset of code, but it's an entirely different set, which means if there's a bug in one, you have to fix it in both places. But that's kind of like further down the track. Eventually, I, I might have time to do that, or 
you know, some client might want something custom that ends up needing that, so I'll build it. But it's one of those weird quirks of just the way the platform was built. It's, you know, customized to a particular use case. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll see some of those changes in in the 3.0 planning uh, that we've been doing, which is uh, is is kind of blending those administrative and member areas with, with the front end, which kind of gets us into theming and how the site looks and, and all of that. And I know there are a few changes uh, with that also in 2.5. Uh, Brandon, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's, what's going on there? Well, I can tell you like, like what, how it has been and what I like about it from the beginning and what I was really hoping would be, would be, we could address in 2.5. And I know to, on some level it has been, but I'm also curious Robbie, how far that went. And so that is that like one thing I really like about theming in Ushahidi pre 2.5 and, and so on is that like when you go to create a new one, if you created like a new directory for a theme and you don't put anything in it, like you haven't done any work yet. Um, it actually bring it just defaults to like the default theme. That's that's not to say that it just says, eh, I'm not using your theme and goes and uses a different theme. It just leverages the work that was done on the default theme. And so if you add if you add a new template for the home page, but that's it, then the work you do on the home page will override everything, but then the other stuff that maybe you didn't finish will still have a backup. It'll still leverage the stuff that was done in default. And so, yeah, again, I really like that because on other CMSs, once you go, oftentimes, off, once you go to do work on a new theme, it goes, all right, I'm throwing everything out and I'm just going to wait until you finish. And if you don't finish something, then there's just nothing there. So I think that's really cool, but one of the downsides to that is when you go to theme and if you have aspirations to do a lot of custom stuff that depart from some of the more traditional Ushahidi design, you know, visual design stuff like map on the left, categories on the right, um, certain modules being structured in a, in, in a specific way, or you really, really care about the markup and want to mark it up differently. Um, it can be pretty hard because some of those, some of the markup is really baked into the application and not in, not actually in the, um, uh, theme and then even like there are certain styles uh that are like global that you can can't really override um because either of the the way that the style sheets are ordered in in um in the head and, and all that kind of there are just there are pl- there are holes that you cannot um fill i guess with with your theme because of the way it's 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 set up so i know a lot of that stuff has been addressed so that you can fully just say get out of here you know global CSS styles and I want to do my own thing. I know that's an improvement, but Robbie, could you speak maybe a little bit more to like some more specific ways that theming is going to be awesome? Um, so there's a few, there's, I should probably first say is that, like there's a whole lot of stuff that I've been working on for 2.6, which hasn't made 2.5, which addresses this even more. But two, so 2.5 started on some of this work and the main thing that changes in 2.5 is that we rearranged all the views. So all the, or you know, one way of looking at it is namespaced all the views. So all the reports views now go under a reports folder rather than being just reports underscore something, reports, like reports underscore submit, reports underscore view. It's now that like everything goes into subfolders just to organize a bit more. Um, 
beyond that kind of like so that so that requires a bit of rearranging of your theme um it doesn't really change a lot of how things work but it's more a kind of ongoing tidiness and understandability for you know people who are coming in clean it should be a little bit easier to find the view you're looking for now um in terms of things you can now override, we've moved. There's, there historically has been a whole set of views that lived under the application rather than the theme, and you couldn't override them. And that was things like the reports JavaScript or the main JavaScript, which is the stuff that like ran the map for the reports pay, the reports listing, or ran that for the main listing. Which means at that point where you wanted to really change how that worked, you had to. Well, you just couldn't. You either had to hack core or you know, you couldn't override it. Whereas now you can do exactly what you could always do, which is like it'll it'll fall back to the default theme and the default JavaScript until the point where you override it. So you'll get the default kind of way the map works, and then if you really want to mess with it, you can copy that whole JavaScript file and start modifying to your heart's content and tweaking everything. Um, that's about, I think, as far as anything goes in 2.5 in terms of things you can change more is just We've tried to move every single front-end view we could find into a theme so that you can override it. 2.6, provided I have time to land all this work because it's still sitting on a branch, um, there's a bit more work on the CSS side of things so that like those global style sheets that you don't want, you can get rid of. Um, the basic mechanism I'm kind of looking at for this is either you'll override them by specifying kind of in your theme readme file that you want to override them or you'll override them by just dropping in. So there's, I think there's a global.css or an all.css file. Basically, you would override that the same way you do with a view. So you drop in an all.css into your custom theme and it would completely replace the old theme CSS. Yeah. Same with alt.css. So like previously... You could have a default.css in the default theme and a default.css in your theme, and it would just load both of them, which is sort of fine for a few custom tweaks because, you know, at CSS, you can override a rule by having it be the later thing included. But sometimes you actually just want to go, no, I don't want that CSS at all. So I introduced kind of a naming convention similar to views where if it's the same name, it'll replace it entirely. If it's got a different name, you can just add on to the end. Um and then addressing things like, for some odd reason, the theme CSS wasn't the last thing included. So open layers loaded at CSS afterwards, and a few other things did, which meant that you could never override the CSS for the pop-up bubbles, okay. which is just to no end of annoying. If anyone's seen the TEDx um, Ushahidi map that I built, I had to hack a lot of core to get the custom pop-up bubbles on there. And it, just, it was kind of like, a little bit of rearranging and it suddenly became massively easier to override some of the mapping stuff. So 2.6 will hopefully cover all of that. And when that comes around, I'm going to have to write a massive blog post to document it all. Cause <laughs> the big rap I started and got so far and went, there's no way this is getting into 2.5. So. Yeah. Well, and to anyone who thinks that anyone listening who may think that this is like really incremental changes, Oh, it's, you just change one line of code or, you know, change the naming convention or something. I, if, to me, like hours of frustration have come from something as simple as there's a, you know, there's a controller that brings in literally one line of code that just makes everything hours worth of works, hours worth of work more difficult, if that makes sense. So 
I think even those those changes are are really big in 2.5, and this the CSS stuff that's coming in 2.6 um, is is just cake for me. So I think yeah, I think that's great. That's 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 enough to download 2.5 if you're interested in theming and you know how things are displayed visually. That's enough reason right there. Yeah, it's definitely the tiny little things like you know that bit of line CSS somewhere in one of the core templates. <laughs> That means that you've got to override a template, not just CSS, and messes with anyone who's not really a developer but is a really good themer. Mm-hmm. So some people have written some pretty crazy custom themes um, on older versions of Ushahidi now. What kinds of challenges uh, would they face in, in upgrading their themes? Uh, I mean, only because there have been a lot of uh, major structural changes I know that there there are some files that have moved around, uh, like yeah, you're talking so about the, the namespacing of files and things like that. Um, a lot of this we picked up because Dale has been working on his facilities theme, which I think we really need to get that up somewhere and get a link out because um, he built this amazing theme that really rearranges, like it doesn't look like a normal Ushidi theme. It puts things in totally different places and he did some really deep work, which is pretty cool. Um, but and upgrading that to 2.5, he picked up, like, there's all these view views that move and things. And so we've got a whole full wiki page on, like, here's where all the views used to be and here's where they are. And you just need to, mostly to migrate an old view, you just need to move the files. So you don't need to change the file. You just need to change the file name and what folder it lived in. Um, but there's a giant long work page on the wiki called Migrating to Ushidi 2.5 which tells you kind of all of what changes and what you need to change and tweak to up to upgrade and kind of what you might hit as a break, as a break. Oh, great. We'll have to definitely include that in the, uh, in the notes uh, for this podcast um, afterwards. So uh, the, the, you know, there just been, there've been a few other minor uh, 2.5 changes. I know the, uh, We've kind of changed a little bit how the installer works and the uh, the configuration files. We've taken a few uh, default files out of out of the uh, repository. Um, I don't know if those are worth getting into uh, very much, uh, but just basically, people need to know that it works a little bit better. <laughs> um, looks much the same, but it is a rewrite, and so. We nailed the bugs, basically. There was some weird stuff in the old installer that just didn't get addressed, especially if you did the Embardance installer. But So we've nailed a lot of the bugs, which should hopefully make some people happy. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal, <laughs> trying to get the installer to work properly. Um, so I guess to get more details on how to upgrade, I mean, we're not going to talk about like if you're on version X, how do you get to 2.5 uh, on the podcast. There's... There's a, a short write-up on uh, the blog post, which announces uh, Ushahidi 2.5, and there's also a, a wiki page uh, for people who are a little bit more uh, technical. Um, but if you if you really just need a hand um, doing the upgrade, uh, we have an upgrade day coming on uh, on Wednesday, August 8th, and uh, you know, I, I actually haven't signed up for what we're calling office hours for that yet, uh, but I know Robbie has. Uh, so maybe Robbie can talk a little bit about about that. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I, I don't even know what the background was of organizing this, but the, the idea, I think, is just that we'll have four 
pretty much an entire day. It's not quite full 24 hours, but you know, long enough to hit pretty much everyone's time zone somewhere in there. We'll have someone online covering, you know, just on the Skype channel to answer questions and kind of just help people through it. Because there's so many little things doing an upgrade that, you know, they're not major showstoppers, but if you hit them and you don't know what to do about them next, it's like, ah, uh, pulling your hair out for hours. Whereas a core developer will be like, oh, that's this. I've fixed that 10 times already. And just be able to point you to exactly what it is. So hopefully for, for people who aren't necessarily technical devs or anything and need to upgrade an old install or something and they they should just be able to get someone to answer those technical questions and go hey you need to do this first and we're just trying to get some of those you know there's been a lot of security fixes and stability fixes and things since 2.1 and even more since before then that we just want to get those old deployments to date and get people's kind of data a bit more safe (laughs) yeah i mean and we'll pretty much be guaranteed to be around uh for that day but if uh, if you're ready to upgrade or you're going to be upgrading in the future then uh people can always stop by our skype chat and just ask questions um we try to do our best to be around uh, but our community is also there and it's a good place to get support uh, for that stuff if you're planning on upgrading in the future and you have some concerns uh going going into that uh, maybe wednesday is a good day to or August 8th is a good day to be online to uh, just ask us about those, even if you're not in the process of upgrading. So maybe you just have a few concerns about how the theming is going to work or what's going to happen to your settings or something like that. We'll be around to answer those questions um, for you on uh, the 8th. It is so awesome that Ushahidi does that, by the way. <laughs> I mean, it's totally yeah. it's totally legit. You don't wait in line, right? I mean, there's just somebody... Who's gonna walk you through it? I wish, I wish I had that just troubleshooting stuff with the work I'm doing, and I'm part of the core team. <laughs> it's it's great. <laughs> Brandon, you should stop by on uh, August eighth and ask a few questions. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a good policy for any of these major upgrades. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll release uh, just a bug fix or something, which. Uh, it's fairly straightforward to up- update, but when when we have these these updates that are making major structural changes to the database and and uh, changing the way theming works and stuff like that, I mean, it, sometimes you just on. I mean, technology doesn't always go exactly the way you want it to. Even uh, even Apple with with, with my uh, Wiretap Studio, and I'm trying to hit record and it keeps crashing. Uh, you know, it'd be really nice if there was an Apple engineer on hand. Yeah, uh, that I I could just ask, hey, what's going on? Do I have to keep trying this, or 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 maybe there's just a setting in my in my system settings that that can make that work right, you know? Mm-hmm. And somebody with the experience would just be able to answer that really quick, uh, and I wouldn't have to uh, spend all day trying to figure it out. Um, I probably won't be trying to figure out it. I'll probably try to find another uh, audio recording tool. We'll see, but. Um, no, I think uh, this is this is the first. This might be the first upgrade day that we're doing, actually. Um, so if it goes well, I'm sure we'll be doing it again in the future for uh, for future upgrades. So hopefully, hopefully, uh, people will, will find it useful. So you know, guys, I think that probably wraps it up uh, for our fourth podcast experiment. 
I guess we're calling it Ushcast. Uh, we don't have an official name for it yet, but I think that's probably what we're going to end up calling it. What do you think, Robbie? Does Ushcast sound like a, an attractive podcasting name that would make you want to subscribe and listen? It's the theme, right? We have Ush heads and no, everything ends up being an Ush something. So <laughs> in Skype chat, though. Just to go with yeah. these things. You know, I, I think people would still find some way to uh, mispronounce uh, the name. You know, Ushahidi, <laughs> we've had Heidi. <laughs> or or, or there's, there's actually a really funny uh, news story on uh, on CNN. Maybe I'll try to dig that up. Uh, where there was a news anchor trying to pronounce Ushahidi on the fly and was, <laughs> was struggling with that. Uh, so, so maybe people will call it the, the, the us cast or something. <laughs> I don't know. But when you pronounce it right, you sound really awesome. Oosh! Right, you, you just did it a second ago. <laughs> the oosh cast. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, uh, have a good uh, afternoon in New Zealand and have a good night in uh, Seattle. Or not Seattle, uh, Olympia. Same difference. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, and uh, guys, I guess we'll uh, talk next week. Yeah, good times. All right, we'll see. Bye.